Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. As a director of community outreach at Ellen Becker, I go out into the community and I get a pulse on what's going on out there and see where our resources can be utilized, whether that's the radio show, our education center, the skills and talents of our awesome advisors and our tax and insurance specialists. I make connections with people. I recently read a definition of connection as the energy that exists between two or more people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. I went on to read that the key to getting things done is connecting people. Often the right people are already in place. They just need to focus on the greater good to be energized, utilized, and encouraged to work together. And I can find so many examples of that played out in the community, not just with people I know, but also by just observing people in the places I go. I really enjoy watching people interact, and I get really excited about a shared cause or passion. The guests on today's show are actually a testament to that. I met our first guest at a C-Suite for Christ meeting I was invited to. He and I shared a passion, which led to further discussions with other people who shared our passion, and we said, hey, let's do a radio show together. So the two nonprofit organizations you'll hear from today are being highlighted because of that energy, that strength, that desire to work together to focus on the greater good. My first guests today are Paul Nurberger and Stacy Amstadt. Paul is the president of the Star Group, CEO of the Cold Call Coach, and founder of C-Suite for Christ. He's also a keynote speaker and a networker extraordinaire. Stacy is the communications director at the American Heart Association. And the connection with Paul and the American Heart Association is that he was the past chair of the Heart Walk that the American Heart Association puts on every year. So welcome to the show today, Paul and Stacy. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jill. So let's start with you, Paul. You're involved with so many different things. We're big on Simon Sinek's Start With The Why at Ellen Becker. So why do people do what they do? It isn't about running a profitable company. That's a result. It's all about your purpose, your passion, your why. So what is yours, Paul? Yeah, so I've got a, a lot of different whys. But with respect to the American Heart Association, for me, it's obvious. My family has been impacted significantly by the ugly ramifications of heart disease and stroke. The day was November 2nd of 2012. That was his 60th birthday of all days. That's the day that my father-in-law, Steve Gurgle, got up, sat on the couch, and uh, that was the last breath he took. He suffered from a fatal heart attack that morning Mm. that left a lasting impact on my family. And then shortly after he died, my maternal grandmother, Wilma Reed, succumbed to a lengthy battle with heart disease. She's been enduring hers for quite a while. And uh, for me, I I just see what happens with heart disease and stroke. My, My best friend also, thankfully, he's still with us. But he suffered a stroke at the age of 47, and I guess I just didn't think 47-year-olds suffered a stroke, but, but that's the nature of stroke, very non-discriminatory and very random. So I wanted to be part of the change that I wanted to see in the world. The Star Group is very involved with the American Heart Association, led by our co-founder, Mary Starr. And uh, as I got to know the fine folks at the American Heart Association, based on my passion, my energy, and my determination to be a change agent, we thought this would be a good fit, and I was very blessed to serve in this role for a year. Wow, wonderful. Wow, I know you got, you're involved in so many different things and you're passionate about every one of them, right? Um, Stacy, you have a compelling why 
that explains and supports your involvement at the American Heart Association. You want to share that with us? Yes, definitely. So I was actually born with a congenital heart defect called aortic stenosis, and I was diagnosed with it right away when I was born because my dad also has that same um, heart defect, so they look for it right away. I was the lucky one. I have a twin sister. I was the one who was born with it. I was like, why did it have to be me? Oh, wow. <laughs> twin sister who was totally fine, and, and you were the one that suffered from the... The yep. Um, so, well, I have I have two heart conditions. I have the aortic stenosis and a bicuspid aortic valve, and she has the aortic valve or the bicuspid valve. She does not have the stenosis, which oh, is okay. Um, it's actually a narrowing of the aortic valve, um, and it you know makes it more difficult for blood to flow in and out of your heart. And so, when I was I grew up being really active and athletic, and I didn't really start to notice things until I was in high school. Um, I started to notice myself slowing down and having difficulty breathing when I was out on the soccer field. And so doctors told me that I had to quit sports. And just a few months later, they told me I needed to have open heart surgery. Oh, and Wait a second. How old were you when they told you you had to have open heart surgery? I was 17. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. And so and active and involved in all the different sports. Yep. And boom. It was okay. very soul crushing for me as a 17 year old. You know, I that imagine. was all I'd known all my life, you know, I'd, I'd been really, really athletic. And so, you know, I, I learned a lot of important life lessons, having to go on, overcome that as such a young person. You know, I really looked inside of myself, had to find a lot of inner strength going through all of that. And I think that one of the most important lessons that I learned was also uh, that life is bigger than sports. Um, because, you know, like I said, it was really hard for me to overcome that. Um, and Especially so, when you're so entrenched in it through through all your formative years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so because of that, I got more involved in other things in school. I um, joined DECA as a, as a high school kid. And, you know, I decided to coach a volleyball team and things like that. And so because I was in marketing classes when I was in high school, I determined that I wanted to work in communications, work in advertising, that sort of thing. And um, I also, you know, thought to myself, after my surgery, I said, I really want to help people that have heart conditions. Yeah. I'm like, I can't be a doctor. I, I, I'm not good with blood or any of those things. So I thought to myself, let's let, let's try to work in um, the PR field and maybe work for Children's Hospital or the American Heart Association. So when I was in high school, I, I actually wrote myself a cover or read, wrote a cover letter to the American Heart Association. And it's crazy to me that here I am today working for this organization. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were able to take something you were really passionate about and turn it into a way to give back, uh, which is wonderful. So tell us, you you had the surgery when you were 17. Everything is fine now? So I, my heart's healthy and stable at the moment, um, but, you know, there's leakage in my valve, which is pretty common for someone who has a valvotomy, and so I will need to have my valve replaced at some point um, in the next couple of years. So I'm thankful that there have been a lot of great scientific advancements and, you know, technology that's come out because of research that is funded by the American Heart Association um, that's made these procedures less invasive than they they were in the past. And so I know that when I have to have my surgery, things are going to be a lot easier than they were for my dad. Mm. Well, so we understand that this heart walk funds a lot of initiatives, right? So Paul, you stated earlier uh, why you were involved and what your passion is behind that. Um, tell us a little bit more about this, this heart walk and what happens with it. How did 2019 go? 
Well, we're going to brag a little bit here. It's a team effort, but I think 2019 was absolutely phenomenal. So when I was named as chairperson, I'm a guy that says if we can't go big, we're going to go home. So I, I wanted this to be a record year. I wanted us to really make sure that we put the uh, Milwaukee Heart Walk on the map. And I think we, we certainly succeeded in that. So we, we raised just under $1.5 million for the 2019 effort, which was wow. an increase of almost 60% off the all-time record year in 2017. And it's a team effort. I mean, Stacy and her staff at the American Heart Association are the best in the world. I had 16 top-notch executives that served on my executive committee, all people that were extremely passionate about this, driven, dedicated, wanted to be change agents as well. And for me, I think one of the most exciting things is if, if the listeners to this have never been to a Milwaukee Heart Walk, they owe it to themselves to go. Not just is it a, a festive atmosphere where emotions are running high. For lack of a better term, it's kind of like a support group. You've got survivors there that are celebrating life. You've got individuals that have lost family members or friends that are there to console each other. But, but I think more than anything else, this event gives hope. This event gives motivation, encouragement, and without hope, it would be a pretty lonely existence, in my opinion. And this event just keeps getting bigger. It keeps getting better. And I think 2019 was a nice down payment on our future success. It's just going to increase year after year. Okay, so talk about future success. What's What are you going to do bigger, better in 2020? Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to live up to after um, 2019, but... I do think that there's a lot to build off of last year. Um, you know, we're just continuing to make connections um, that Paul helped to build. And um, I'm not sure. Do you know what the goal is? Well, <laughs> the, goal, the, the, the goal is right around $2 million. And, and I, I tease this knucklehead all the time. I can call him a knucklehead because he's a good friend of mine. So the, the 2020 chairman is Heath Ashenfelter. Heath is one of the uh, executives over at Fleet Farm. And we would not have done nearly $1.5 million if not for what Heath and Fleet Farm had brought to the table. And, and he likes to say that I raised the bar high and there's big shoes to fill. And I just said, just allow me to enjoy the record for at least a couple weeks before you <laughs> smash it. Uh, but no, Heath is a driven, dedicated guy, immense corporate support behind this effort. And I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to set a new record this year. So wonderful things to come in 2020. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, normally we interview those small grassroots nonprofits that have a very small marketing budget or none at all. And I think most people have heard of the American Heart Association, but I don't think they really know all the things that you guys are involved in and how you're making an impact in the community. So we're going to take a short break, and when we return, Stacy's going to elaborate on how the American Heart Association is making a difference and having an impact in our community. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving, of course, and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Stacy Amstadt, Communications Director at the American Heart Association, and Paul Neuberger, keynote speaker, business professional, and master networker. So lots of ways that the American Heart Association is having an impact in the community, but I don't think that people are aware of all the different things that you're involved in. So tell us, what are some of those community-wide initiatives that money raised at the Heart Walk support? Yes, yeah, so I guess I just 
We'll preface that by saying a lot of people, you know, tend to think of the American Heart Association as just a disease or um, a disease organization. You know, just they only really think about heart disease and stroke, but we're so much more than that. We're a health organization and we're focused on really helping, you know, the community and and overall health and well-being. And so um, a lot of the money that's raised at events like the Heart Walk will go towards, I mean, this is something that you would anticipate would be um, research studies, and there's so much research that's being done here in Wisconsin. Um, last year, we funded $4 million of research that was done at both the Medical College, UW, um, you know, local places here in Wisconsin. Um, there's community health programs that we put on, like Check Change Control, which is a blood pressure control program, helping people to get that under control. I can't think of the exact statistic right now, but a very, very large portion of Americans have high blood pressure, and a lot of people don't know that they do. Um, so it's really important for people to um, make sure that they check that, um, know their numbers, and get that under control, um, work with their doctors on that. Um, we also have a um, program that we put on with youth in the schools called Kids Heart Challenge, and it's really important for you know kids to understand the importance of living a healthy life. So starting it out at such a young age is is really important, um, and also you know getting them to understand the importance of helping others as well. Yeah, what's um, with the big red noses? Am I the only one that that? Pays attention to that the big, that the the go red account uh, pr- uh, promotion so, initiative whatever so you want to call it that is a different that's I'm not sure who puts that on that is through Walgreens but that's not us we we do go red for women okay um, which is so we actually have National Wear Red Day um, every year that's always the first Friday um, in February and it's a really big push to just create awareness um, really for women in heart disease um, okay. because when we started that in the Go Red for Women initiative about 15 years ago it was a lot of women didn't understand that they could get heart disease as well. Right, They right. thought of it as more of just a man's disease and so um, that's really the idea behind that but you know it's it's also just trying to get awareness out for it's the number one killer of both men and women. Yeah. Um, so. so you do have a Go Red initiative, but yes. you're not mm-hmm. you're not the ones with the big red noses. No. Okay. Okay. Just, okay. Well, but just to kind of add on that, one of the things that, that Stacy talks about that I wasn't really fully aware of until I became president of the Star Group is the presence that the Heart Association has on small to mid-sized organizations like ours. Okay. Uh, they, they talk. They help us plan from a corporate wellness initiative perspective. They help us enhance our efforts and uh, etc. By offering healthy culture opportunities to our employees. I mean, we, Star Group is been very blessed the last couple of years to win the gold medal award or whatever that is for, yes. for, for top performance. <laughs> Workplace health solutions. Yes, yes. But but we couldn't do it without them as partners. I mean, they, they help us in a planning perspective. They help us from an execution perspective. I just looked at the Heart Association as this macro organization that's trying to cure the world of heart disease when, in fact, they're actually partnering with organizations like the Star Group on wellness in various culture initiatives, which as president, I really do appreciate. Well, and I know we at Ellen Becker here, too, have worked with the American Heart Association with AED training. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that people are just aware what to do in case something happens. You know, if we're putting on some kind of seminar, and that actually has happened uh, here, where we needed to, to know what to do in an emergency situation. So, you know, working with uh, that collaborative piece is so important with businesses, uh, as Paul said. Um, before you can even determine how best to provide these services and information and advocacy, right, you first need to understand what the greatest needs are. You know, seek first to understand, as St. Francis said. There's plenty of research being done to determine what those greatest needs are. 
Uh, obviously, children born with congenital heart defects is a problem near and dear to your heart, Stacy. I would imagine. And I think it's one of the top issues. Uh, it's at the top of the list of, of greatest needs. I understand that nearly 40,000 infants in the United States, or roughly one in 150 babies, are born with congenital heart defects in the U.S. each year. So how has the American Heart Association been instrumental on providing assistance in that area specifically? Yes, yeah, so it is the most common birth defect um, in the United States. And obviously, yes, like you said, it, it does it has a lot of meaning for myself and for a lot of families um, in Wisconsin and throughout the country. And so one of the things that we worked on um, here locally in Wisconsin was passing a bill. Um, this was a couple of years ago, but we passed a bill that requires that all babies that are born um, need to go through a pulse oximetry screening before they leave the hospital. And this detects all the, mo the most severe congenital heart defects because there were many babies that were born um, and were turning blue because they weren't receiving enough oxygen because they had these um, heart defects. And so now we're able to detect this before they leave the hospital. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, in, it used to be, now it's been a number of years since I had my babies, but I remember back in the day they were saying they were turning around in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. They were sending babies out the door in 24 hours. So how scary a thought is that, that the baby could be leaving and have some undetected problem. Well, right? and, and call me naive, but when I first accepted this role as chairman, I just assumed heart disease was for older people, that heart disease was for people that weren't in very good shape, weren't taking care of themselves. But I've been humbled beyond belief to see how many children have been impacted by this. And as a father of three small kids, seven, five, and two, it breaks my heart to see what these parents have to endure. It's hard enough for me to say goodbye to my kids when I go to work, right. let alone think of someone brave like Stacy, who was born with this, and just to see the life that she's been able to live, and a bunch of other young people that might not be as fortunate, but, but that this is a cause that impacts people that didn't ask for this, that didn't deserve this, that has nothing to do with lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was extremely eye-opening for me, and, and to, to know that we're a part of the solution to help these parents and make sure that these kids live high-quality lives, hopefully with many years ahead of them. Yeah. That's been one of my favorite aspects of serving this wonderful organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a tour of the Herma Heart Institute uh, and had no idea of the organization. And I toured them before they were a guest on the show. And I got to see firsthand, um, you know, the, the parents sitting beside the, the bed of their, their child that is struggling. And I mean, it's very emotional. And, and I'm not, I don't even know these people, you know, and mm -hmm. I left with, you know, I needed a box of tissues. I mean, it's very, uh, it's very sad, but yet it's also exciting to see all the things that are changing and evolving in this yep. area. And I'm a patient, I'm a patient there. And there have been so many more because of research and because of advancements, more people, more children are living into adulthood that were, um, are diagnosed with congenital heart defects. Yeah, so good things are happening. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here, to shed the light, shed a light on yep. that. You also mentioned that this past year at the state and federal level, uh, there's a big push to find ways to combat the vaping epidemic. That's such a scary thing because I think many parents listen to their kids when they say, ah, it's no big deal. Uh, it's nothing, you know, there are far thing, many things that are far worse, right? Um, but if you listen to the news, you know that it's a major problem. Um, so what's going on in that area? So, yeah, vaping has become an epidemic in our country. And so the American Heart Association has been leading the way, um, both locally and nationally, to combat this. And so 
in the state capitol, we were pushing for a Tobacco 21 policy, and it just so happened that our president signed a federal Tobacco 21 um, bill in December. So we are now, we're, we're celebrating that. It's, it's exciting, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done. So we are going to start pushing for other policies statewide, um, something like vape shop licensure, um, because a lot of um, people who sell vape, vape devices, they don't need to be um, licensed right now. And so that's something we're pushing for. And then also um, the state uh, Clean Indoor Air Act that passed about 10 years ago that made it illegal for people to smoke indoors. Right now, it does not include e-cigarettes in it. So that's something that we're, we're trying to push for. Some um, municipalities have already passed that, but you know we want to make it a statewide initiative. So you're responding to the need. Yes. You know, you before you can advocate, you need to first understand what the need is, right? And so you've determined what that is, and, and now you're putting things in place to to help with that very real problem. Yeah, right? one in five um, high school students are vaping, and there, it's an even it's not as much of a problem in middle schools, but even middle schoolers are doing it. That's a very sad thing. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I can't even wrap my because we, we came back from. You know, many years, so many years ago, it was a problem of just regular tobacco, um, you know, regular cigarettes, and we we stopped that, and now it's become a problem with e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Well, again, there's there's never enough time to go through everything that we want want to talk about, but we're planting a seed here so that people can at least uh, think about these things. Um, what are some ways that the community can can help? So, if we're talking heart walk. There is a number of ways that people can get involved. Um, they could either create their own heart walk team or join a team, whether it's um, you know getting together their family or their friends or um, starting a team within their company. Um, that that's a great way. They can donate um, to the American Heart Association or to somebody else's heart walk team, um, and then they can attend the heart walk. And um, it's a great, it's a really fun day. <laughs> well, what I would say, too, is uh, a number of people just say, well, I'm just one person. My, what is my 50 bucks going to matter? What is me walking around downtown going to matter? One person can make all the difference. It just takes a spark to light a, to light a fire. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, anybody that has the means, anybody that has the ability, anybody that has the passion, any support is better than nothing. And I, I just get uh, pretty excited to think if, if if all of us do our own part, if all of us pitch in, if all of us all of us support this worthwhile cause, we can slowly overwhelm the world and make sure that heart disease and stroke are a thing of the past. Well said, very good, mm-hmm. um, Paul. Though before we we end this segment, I just want to give a few minutes uh, to you to explain a little bit about C Suite C Suite for Christ. Um, if somebody is involved or interested in getting involved, uh, can you give us just a quick description of what that is and how people would get involved. Yeah, quick high-level overview, and obviously that's where you and I met, and that's been a blessing for me for sure, and it's been nice to get to know you on a, on a deeper level, and, and that's just me. Uh, God is number one in my life, and I was looking for an outlet to talk about my faith, to encourage others, to witness to other business executives, because it can certainly be lonely at the top. It can be lonely in any position for sure, needless to say. And uh, we started this group in December of 2018. Over the course of the last year, we're now over 500 C-suite executives throughout the state of Wisconsin and growing. It's been truly amazing to see God's hand at work in this. We have about 150 individuals at each monthly gathering that we have. So if anybody is a C-suite executive or in a position of executive decision-making authority and you want to 
enhance your walk with God, you want to grow closer in your faith, we would certainly welcome you at a future gathering. Uh, our organization has a website. It's just pretty simple, csuiteforchrist.org. It's information about when we meet. It's about information about what we aspire to do as an organization. And obviously, as the founder of the group, plus the work that I do at the Heart Association, I just love talking to people, love touching lives. And whether it be through C-Suite for Christ, et cetera, I'm happy to do that. The best way to contact me uh, would just be via email. P is in Paul Newberger, N-E-U, B is in boy, E-R-G-E-R, at star with two R's, S-T-A-R-R group.com. Wonderful. Well, and I will also say being a part of C-Suite has been a blessing for me as well. And I love to share the uh, my passion for that with a lot of other people, too, because there's great things that are going on. Um, we obviously understand. So thank you, Paul, for all that you do and, and Stacy as well. Um, we obviously understand that heart disease is a very serious issue. Stacy, you mentioned that it's the nation's number one killer. But there are a number of other challenges that people deal with as well, mental health issues, addictions, elderly care, physical and mental disabilities, children in crisis, the list goes on and on. In our next segment, we're going to learn about an organization that is addressing some of our state's most complex health and well-being challenges. Stay tuned to to learn more about this nonprofit when we come back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and Hector Colon and Paul Nurberger are joining me here in the studio today. Well, now we want to hear your story, Hector. Uh, you and I had met previously mm-hmm. uh, prior to this interview, and you've got a really great story. Can you Thank share you. that with us, please? Sure. Thank you. So I was born and raised uh, near south side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, both of my parents are from Puerto Rico. When I was 12 years old, my father moved back to Puerto Rico, so I was raised uh, by my mother. But my father, before he left, got me involved in boxing. Had a major life event when I was nine years old. I was being bullied in the neighborhood by somebody that didn't want someone that looked like face, gave me a bloody nose. So my father ended up taking me to the gym. First fight and lost. I wanted to give up. I fought a second fight, lost, wanted to give up. But I stuck with it because my coach was really encouraging me to do it. I ended up becoming a seven-time national champion in six different weight classes and traveled all over the world with the United States national boxing team. And in 1992, I was favored to go to the Olympics. I was so excited about the opportunity. I had all these promoters on top of me saying, we're going to make millions and win the gold medal, and I lost. And it was uh, my heart was just broken. The promoters were no longer around, and I was really started to search in my life. I was 19 years old, and I ended up finding God. On December 27, uh, 1992, I bought my first Bible and gave my life to Christ, and my life has never been um, the same. Six months later, I fight the same guy. I knock him out in the first round for the U.S. championship, and the promoters came back. Um, but I put it through a year of prayer and discernment, and I felt a very strong calling away from the sport. It was the hardest decision I, I ever made in my life, but yeah. I felt it was the right decision. But that same dedication, determination, and discipline, it took me to be a champion boxer. It's the same dedication, determination, and discipline I apply in my life, and I really strive for excellence in everything that I do, whether it be as a husband, as a father, as a friend, uh, or a professional in my career. I'm really working hard to be the best I can be. 
Mm. That's all anybody can do, right? Yes. You know, that's what we're called to do is give our best in, in every area of life. How did the things that you learned in boxing then help you along your career path? Yeah, there's really five virtues that really uh, stick out for me. And, and the first one is magnanimity, and that's really striving for greatness and really working hard to be the best you possibly can be. When I was a boxer, I didn't box to be number two or number three. Of 10 years of boxing, seven of those years I was rated number one. So I fought with the, uh, I trained with the intensity and desire of being number one, the champion. Uh, I applied that into my life in general. Again, really striving to be the best I can be as a husband, as a father, uh, as a professional in my career. And then I worked really, really hard. Uh, to get there, but uh, really utilizing the gifts that God has given me uh, through that virtue. Uh, the the next one is uh, humility. You know, you learn a lot of humility uh, in the ring. Uh, nobody wins every single fight, uh, but you also learn humility because you know that even though it's a one-on-one sport, you have a coach and a team that really makes you and everyone around you better. So I bring that into my life and into my career right now where I know that I need to surround myself with talented people. And I also, uh, I'm very open to feedback and getting coaching uh, from my staff because I know there's lots I need to learn, and I surround myself with those kind of people. Uh, Courage. Um, There's no greater courage uh, or no greater fear than entering into the ring. But you enter that ring with courage because you are really prepared. And in my life and in my career, I have lots of opportunities to demonstrate courage uh, as well, and it's about doing the right thing even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. And as leaders, as as individuals called by God, we're really called to act with courage on a daily basis. The next one is perseverance. That's about not giving up. You know, I, I fought my first fight. You know, I didn't give up. Fought the second fight, lost. Uh, finally, the third time I won. You know, I lost. I mean, I uh, failed my first occupational therapy exam. Failed my second occupational therapy exam. Uh, my my certification test, and finally I passed the third one. If I wouldn't, if I, I could have given up and not eventually become the CEO of Lutheran Social Services, I was was not provided a couple opportunities uh, at the high C-suite level. But not giving up is something that's really important. And lastly, temperance. When you enter the ring, uh, you have to be composed. Um, it's it's a strategic fight. It's not a fight. It's a boxing match. It's a chess match. So when you get hit, you got to get composed and re-strategize and those skills help me out in, in my life as well uh, as, a, as a president and CEO. Well, so a number of those virtues you talk about are part of your why. Yeah. You know, wh- why do you do what you do? Yeah, my personal why is to give my God-given gifts to serve through my work and try to get better uh, through, through my work. And LSS offers me the opportunity to do this each and every day uh, through our mission, and that is to act compassionately, serve humbly, and lead courageously. There is so much that we, uh, our organization does to impact so many. Let me just share one story with you. We run a residential treatment facility for kids that have penetrated the criminal justice system. And we have this program in Witt- Wittenberg, Wisconsin. And one day I went out there to visit the kids and I played baseball with them. And I was playing baseball with them for about an hour. And I was told about this one kid who was physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, just had really bad dysfunction within his household. And I gravitated towards him, and I would exchange gloves as we were um, exchanging innings. And I would toss the glove to him, but he was reverently uh, placing the glove in my hand, 
And so I began to do that to him as well. As as we finished, I, I spoke with the kids a little bit, and I said, man, what I have observed over the last hour is truly incredible. I did not hear not one swear word. Uh, I saw teamwork. I saw respect. I saw them pulling together and working with each other. Uh, and as I was saying this, the kid, uh, and then I shared a little bit about my story, and I was connecting with him. And the kid that was that was emotionally and physically abused in his house was at the edge of his seat, his chest popped out, his eyes really wide, and really engaged with me. And then I, I continued to talk to them, and I said, I believe that if you display these skills, you go back to the community, you will succeed. And I repeated it a couple of times, and then I said, I know you will succeed. Do you believe you can succeed? And many kids were like, yes, and nods of the heads, and affirmative. And then this one kid just totally slouched down as if he would lost hope. And it was so sad because I, I felt his loss of hope right with him. And I, right there, I, I, I just broke down and started crying uh, in front of everybody. And I went to him afterwards, and my staff went to him afterwards, and uh, we told him that, you know, when he goes, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that he gets a successful transition in the community. This is one story of so many within Wisconsin and Upper Michigan that LSS saves lives. We improve health and well-being for so many. Mm-hmm. Well, and see, you can tell why Hector is just such an effective leader. Now, he's way mm-hmm. too humble to admit mm-hmm. this, and he mentioned humility just a little while ago, but this is why somebody like me wants to be a part of your organization. And one of the things that I believe, Hector talked about praying for discernment. I believe prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. You, you do have to do some asking, and then once you ask, you do have to do some listening. And I think one of the things that we also have to do is not only just praying for discernment, we have to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. And, and to Hector's credit, he was very obedient. I mean, think about how hard that's got to be to walk away from the boxing ring, something mm-hmm. that you've trained for, something that you're very good at, just coming off of a big, a big victory. But, you know, you're, you're touching lives in the process. Individuals are much better off, I think, because of the decision that you made. You. And uh, not only is he a leader in the business community for all the things he's doing for Lutheran Social Services, but I just think your, your story and others are examples that should be admired and emulated. Thank you. For sure, for sure. I recently heard from a woman who was terminally ill. Uh, She said, don't die with your gifts. And you certainly have a lot of gifts, uh, but they may look, you may need to do something differently with them than you originally thought. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that you're gifted. God has gifted you to be magnificent and created in in a wonderful image, and you need to figure out how you're going to have an impact and not keep those gifts to yourself. And so it really sounds like you're you're doing that very well. Thank you. Um, the Lutheran Social Services is under the umbrella of Lutheran Services of America, and together they've provided health and human services to over 6 million people throughout the United States and the Caribbean. And it estimates that in any given year, their programs touch the lives of one in every 50 Americans. What are some of the services that they provide? Well, stay tuned to find out. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and Hector Colon and Paul Nurberger are joining me here in the studio today. So Lutheran Social Services and the 
Lutheran Services of America are having a major impact on a lot of people. So share with us what some of the programs are that are making such a difference in people's lives. Sure. In Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, last year we served 39,000 individuals, 91% of which indicated that we improved their quality of life. So we're having a major difference on lots of people, whether it be a child in crisis who has nowhere to turn, a family in turmoil that might be facing eviction, an elderly person that needs assistance to live independently or successfully in the community, a person struggling with addiction or mental illness, or a person that's fleeing from war and persecution. LSS has been the place to turn to for these individuals for 135 years uh, and more. I want to give you a specific example of an individual that was served through LSS. Her name is Ashley. She was using alcohol daily to cope with her traumatic past, and as a result, her children were removed uh, from her home and placed in foster care. She learned about about LSS and got involved in a program that allowed her to have supervised visits with her children while she was going through her recovery. Ashley stayed with us for 14 months. Uh, She was provided with the resources she needed uh, to heal her past traumas, develop positive goals towards recovery and self-sufficiency, and ultimately she was reunited back to her children as a sober, actively engaged mother. It's stories like this that truly inspires us, but again, 39,000 of these individuals have been served in Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. Hmm. So people with all different kinds of challenges, as we talked about as le- in the lead into the show, is, you know, there's all kinds of things that families are dealing with, um, yeah. addiction and elder care and disabilities and all kinds of things. You know, you're mm-hmm. helping people with all kinds of challenges, right? Yeah. What challenges do you have as a nonprofit? There's lots of challenges in our sector. Just recently, there was a report done by the National Alliance for Children and Families, which is actually headquartered in Wisconsin, but they're a national organization, uh, highlighting all the significant challenges that the nonprofit sector faces. For us, there's lots of them, Uh, but one is our government contracts. So government moved towards privatization uh, many decades ago, and they didn't increase um, our rates at the rate of inflation during that period of time, which really makes it hard for us to um, provide the services with excellence and high quality unless we get philanthropy to to support uh, the gaps um, in in the cost. So that is something that we struggle with. Our organization and lots of organizations in our sector heavily rely on government contracts. For us, it's over 90%. So that's a big, big challenge for us. Uh, the other challenge for us is fundraising. So a lot of nonprofit organizations really supplement those gaps in, in funding with, with fundraising. Uh, for us, less than 3% of our revenue comes from charitable contributions, which is really unheard of in our, in our sector. I was just at Harvard for leadership development training, and they said the industry average was around 25%. If oh, we were wow. to just double from 3 to 6%. It would add millions of dollars uh, to our bottom line. And there's no reason why an organization of our size, of our reputation, of our credibility, our impact and results, and our history, that we shouldn't be able to raise millions. Uh, so that's, an, uh, I think, a huge opportunity for us. A third challenge for us I'll just share. There are many others, but a third one is really talent acquisition. Uh, right now, with unemployment rates so low, there's lots of challenge for us to make sure that we can attract 
and retain talent. And in our sector, because we don't get, um, you know, uh, contracts that have, you know, 5% margin or higher margins, it's really hard to make sure that we can uh, pay our staff the best we possibly can. So that's where culture comes in. I think our culture is second to none. We're really co-creating our strategy uh, with our staff. I, I didn't come in here as the CEO and said, you know, here's our strategic plan, here's our direction, here's what we're doing. Rather, I started with five questions, and they were, what are the biggest challenges the organization is facing? Why are we facing these challenges? What are some of our biggest opportunities for growth? What do we need to do to leverage those opportunities? And if you were me, what would you focus your attention on? It is through those five questions that we really have worked together to improve the health and well-being of, of our staff, our organization, as well as the people we serve. When a sector kind of alluded to, with all of these challenges lie great opportunity, and I'm one of the busiest human beings on planet Earth, but part of the reason why I jumped at the opportunity to serve on this board is that fundraising challenge. I mean, I, I, I served as a professional fundraiser at the college and university level for eight years. The work that I've done through the American Heart Association, fundraising is in my blood. And I think what you need is you need a good mission, you need a good vision, and you need the right components to motivate and inspire people. And all of that stuff has already been taken care of admirably by you. And to, to join this energetic, dynamic board that is ushering in a, a new era of success for this organization, to be a part of that and to help lead the fundraising efforts to touch as many lives as possible, it's, it's going to be really exciting yes, to yes. serve with you in that capacity. And I think we're going to turn that, that challenge into a big strength of this organization in a very short amount of time. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. He's, he's an amazing human being in person. We're so lucky to have him on our board. I'm happy to call you my friend as well. Thank well, you. I think that speaks to what we started uh, talking about at the opening of the show, and that is relationship and connection, connection with people, and how I read that the key to getting things done is connecting people. You know, often mm -hmm. the right people are already in place. They just need to focus on the greater good to be energized and utilized and encouraged to work together. And I think your relationship exemplifies that, uh, that uh, description. So what would you say then, Hector, is your call to action for our listeners? Yeah, thank you. We ask you to um, make us part of your story like I did mine. LSS is a great organization having a huge impact. We ask you to make us part of your story. And we also uh, ask you for your prayers. I know your listeners are, are faithful people and prayerful people. So please pray for me that I may continue to lead as a humble uh, servant leader. Uh, pray for my staff. Uh, pray for our board of directors. And pray for the people we serve who face so many significant challenges and they just need that little help. Uh, to lead them on a path of health and wellness and, and self-sufficiency. So please pray for them. And if you are connected to us already, thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for your support. And we ask you to help connect us to others, to your friends, that they, if they could be involved with us, we would really uh, welcome that. And finally, if, the, if our, our message resonates with you, we ask for your personal financial support. There are many ways to do this. You can donate to our organization to help us with our impact and outcome. You can join our partner circle, uh, which is a corporate and sp small business donor club, or consider making a planned gift uh, to help LSS grow in time and in perpetuity. Those would be some ways uh, to get connected. If you don't know, look us up on our website. Uh, you can find my number up there. 
set up a meeting with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you to see how we can work together to really improve health and well-being uh, in our community. So if we just Google Lutheran Social Services, we can get to you. That's right. Okay, yes. wonderful. Uh, before I let you go, though, Hector, I understand that you started writing a book or you yes. have a, a book in the works. You yes. want to share in case there are people out there that might be interested in that? Yes, thank Give you. Give us a little bit of information on that. Sure. It's really my life journey, and the title of the book is From Boxing Ring to Boardroom. And I, I pretty much will have a full manuscript completed um, within a couple of weeks, but I hope to have the book uh, on the shelf by June of this year. So if um, you see Boxing Ring the Boardroom and you remember Hector Colon, maybe you want to pick up a copy. Absolutely. I am very excited to receive an autographed <laughs> copy <laughs> of myself at some point. Yes, yes you will get one. Outstanding. A, yes, yes. All right. Well, I want to thank all my guests today, Paul Newberger, Stacy Amstead, and Hector Colon, for sharing their passion and their purpose with us. Um, my hope is that we can continue to get things done by connecting people, passionate, purposeful people with a heart for others and that we can encourage people to work together for the common good of those that we serve. So thank you for being here with us today. Mm -hmm. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today or you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about some great people and great nonprofits that are doing great things in our community. You can do that by either tuning in on the AM 1130 dial or going to News Talk 1130 on your computer or on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. You can just visit our website at ellenbecker.com and listen to previously aired shows, or now you can listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. Dig deep, folks. Find your purpose and your passion, and then go out and find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.